Welcome to the new day, my fellow thinkers. I am coming to you from slippery, slick, and rain-washed Buffalo, New York. I'm your host, Logan Eldine Misseldine. Alrighty, folks, if you didn't already know, this podcast is about me and my wife breaking down The Revenant, the 2015 movie that gave uh, Leonardo DiCaprio his Oscar and wowed audiences everywhere for the intense brutality of it. It was in such an insane experience. And so um, I totally recommend anybody who hasn't seen it yet, go watch it. Uh, the only disclaimer is if you're a little bit sensitive, there's language, there's brutal, brutal graphic violence, and there is a sexual assault. Um, but to the time period, to the everything, it, it all made sense. None of it was gregarious, at least not to me. If you're super sensitive, it may be gregarious to you, but that's my only disclaimer. Otherwise, this movie was top-notch, everybody, okay? So this story, to me, it's not so much that it's an outdoor story, survival story, which I love, I've always loved, but and that's what first intrigued me. When I finally start, sat down in the movie theater and saw it for the first time, uh, what was really... Um, Poignant to me was that it was truly a well-done story. The storytelling experience was so top-notch. More than just the setting, more than just the experiences they must have gone through to even film it. The way that the care and through the confines of what they had to film in, they did a wonderful job in bringing this story to life. I mean, obviously, every story has loopholes or holes in it and everything, but this story was so good to me. The storytelling experience is something that I hadn't seen in at least a newer movie in such a long time. And it was just so impactful to me, and I just ate it all up. I even read the book it was based off of and everything. It just was amazing. So in a couple seconds, my wife and I are going to start breaking this down. So grab, grab your snacks, grab your blanket, sit down, enjoy. We're going to go over such deep, thoughts and we're gonna as always we're gonna bring this into real life i'm gonna bring this into the way that we live today at least the best i can or at least something that you could use in your own life and the, which the way you think about stuff so there's gonna be themes of vengeance and nature and all sorts of things so i guarantee this podcast isn't gonna be as bloody as the movie but it's gonna get pretty close to that so buckle up we're gonna get the show on the road thanks folks all righty so we're back and so Right now, I am sitting across from my beautiful, gorgeous wife, Rachel. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? I'm good. How good. are you? Did we have a big weekend? Mm-hmm. What happened? What did we do? I, well, yesterday we went to our local Memorial Day parade, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. We went on a hike uh, in which we fought for 75% <laughs> of it, but it was fun. And what did we do? Well, oh we basically gosh. just relaxed. Yeah. Right. We had a, oh, we had Bill, um, Uncle Bill's memorial. Oh Day yeah. Party. Oh yes. Very, <laughs> very interesting. My uncle Bill is a very interesting man. Um, he is the nicest man though, and he has a Memorial Day party every year. So that it's was about fun. a three day extravaganza. So <laughs> we usually go for the first day, but no, that, that was a lot of fun. We we enjoyed ourselves. I I took the dog out and had a couple of adventures while she was at work. So that's that was our Memorial Day weekend at that point. Other than hot dogs mm-hmm. from Trader Joe's because we want to be organic. Ew, so I hate him so much. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we want grass-fed beef. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best substances for our bodies. Right. On this Memorial Day ben- bender. But honestly, true, though. <laughs> no, true, though, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> mm. <coughs> mm, excuse me. 
Sorry, I just inhaled my my, my wife's perfume. Um, but yeah, other than that, we're just enjoying the, the now scorching heat from Buffalo, New York. So yeah, sorry that this is coming to you guys so late, but we're gonna we're gonna dive into this anyway. So so as you know, we're going to go over the Revenant, and so for anybody who hasn't seen it yet and hasn't read the book or anything, we're just gonna give a quick rundown of the plot. So. It's in the 1800s-ish, the Mountain Man era. It's set in Montana, and with the... I I think the group is called the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. I think that's that's what it's called. Like the original... Yes, the the, the original... It's a true story. It's a true story, absolutely. And so this this fur company is trapping and and cleaning pelts and selling, and and Hugh Glass... Aka Leo DiCaprio is their scout slash hunter with his uh, with his Native American son, and so they get raided by a warring tribe, and they a lot of people get killed. And Hugh Glass, the uh, a number of the party survive, and as they're making their way to the lo- the nearest fort for safety, Hugh Glass gets between a grizzly bear and her cubs and gets viciously, brutally mauled. Uh, to the point where he can't speak or move, but um, he gets stitched up, and they're carrying the rest of the company is carrying him. And there's a there's a man named Fitzgerald, played by Tom Hardy, who is rather cynical and racist and all sorts of things. But he but he's also very money hungry. So the captain of the of the company he offers. Uh, a significant bonus if they'll stay behind and see if Glass will either make it or die and protect him from other things. So Fitzgerald, a young kid named Jim Bridger, and his son Hawk stay behind. And Fitzgerald gets nervous and tries to kill Hugh Glass and ends up killing his son instead. Should we explain that the son? Did you explain? That yeah, I said he was a Native American. Native American? Yes, yes, yes. The Native American. Yes, so, yes. so he, which was um, already like a point of tension for them I know. anyway. Exactly, it just made more sense. And so, mm-hmm. and then Fitzgerald takes Bridger, tricks him into this, thinking that they're under attack and can't bring Glass, uh, throws him into a dirt pit, and then Glass, fueled by revenge and fueled by anger, uh, just completely badassery. Uh, pulls himself through, like, on hands and knee mm-hmm. uh, across the Montana wilderness as he gets healed and heals his body. Yes. And, and runs into a couple of other characters, including the Warring Tribe and other dangers, while Fitzgerald and Bridger make it to the the fort. And then uh, they say that Glass is dead, and then glass ends up showing up at the fort and fitzgerald tries to escape and then yeah, he exposes fitzgerald's lies that mm-hmm. he had died mm-hmm. that um and he re- they realize that fitzgerald is a liar mm-hmm. so of course he escapes mm-hmm. into the nearing wood but mm-hmm. glass being the man that he is knowing what he knows which is partly why they kept him alive because Without him, they wouldn't be alive, and he suffered that bear attack. And the leader of the company, I forgot what his name was, but he was the one that said, all right, Fitzgerald, Hawk, and then Bridger, you watch Glass, Mm -hmm. because he deserves at least a a chance or a proper burial. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, he comes back, and they all see what was done. Um, And then using what he knows, Glass ends up, finding Fitzgerald. Unfortunately, the leader of the company 
um, gets killed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he, he, gets, he, he gets killed. killed. He gets killed. And another side note, Fitzgerald was once scalped by uh, Native Americans as well. And so he has a very big grudge b- behind it, but he knows how they work. And he used some, that tactic to cover up his track after he killed the, the captain. And and just, we're going to spoil it, the, the very end of the movie, uh, Glass ends up killing um, Fitzgerald. In a very dramatic way, but we're gonna we're gonna delve deeper into that into a we in are a minute. We're gonna delve deeper into that, and we're gonna delve deeper into the emotions part that you talked about, mm-hmm. his revenge and things like that. And I think that we talk about lots of the dreamy like aspects of Native American culture, right? Like they're these dreamy people. We're gonna get into that. Yep, absolutely. So you're gonna hear a short little small transition thing, and then we're gonna delve right back in deeper. I gotta get my notes and everything. So. <laughs> all right everybody we're back we just had some technical difficulties we were halfway through and then something just happened so we're gonna we're gonna try to break this down over again so if we sound a little annoyed it's because we are Mm -hmm. so um uh, sorry just like with this whole movie there's so many symbolic things there's so many things like motifs and aspects that bled in all kind of connected together you know and you know kind of brought out the flesh of the story and the first one that we want to talk about was the trees and obviously you know it's nature they're in the woods 95 percent of the whole entire movie and you know like they're the you know one of the leading characters of the scenery you know they almost deserve their own oscar but Mm -hmm. um the first thing is like within the first act there's uh his glass's wife uh uh, it's it's said that she says this she used to say this thing where it was I'm paraphrasing paraphrasing of course I can't get the poetry down at this moment but it's basically she used to say that if during the storm if you looked at the tops of the trees it would look like they would fall down but if you looked at the trunk of the tree you could see how stable it really was and you know this this is really prevalent throughout the first act but more of that first part of that where the the camera is always pointing nearly almost pointing up towards the camera towards the top of the trees especially in transition scenes it's always in the going up towards the top where we're seeing this chaotic fluttering of the tips of the trees and it's really you know it starts out in the um you know the first battle scene where um the the continuous loop of it is kind of going up and over up and over and you're seeing the trees come in here and there and then as soon as the uh uh, the warring tribe come in and start uh, launching their assault on the company. The you see the arrows flying through the trees, flying above their heads, flying into their heads. Um, you know, all the, and every time it's moving around, you can see the tops of the trees. And at one point, there's literally um, a warrior up in a tree, and he gets taken down. And um, there, it's just he, there's constantly this chaos coming from up above, um, as well as from on. on on the same level and um you know a tree literally falls because of fire and that's another aspect too it's almost like from the trees it's there's when there's a descent from the trees down it's like almost bringing that chaos from the top to the bottom almost like with that tree falling down and um the only other point where something is descending down is at the point where uh Fitzgerald has this is in, in the climax where Fitzgerald has killed the captain and the the gunshot has uh set off an avalanche 
and it's very it, within the story and within the nature and within the setting it, it's a similar thing absolutely but to the story to the setting to what's been going on it's a very un, unfamiliar thing as well it's you know it's almost kind of like a premonition to the the next conclusion of the, the of the climax where it glass is sitting there and he's seen all these tree things we've seen all these trees falling and things happening within tops of trees but now now that Fitzgerald is put into play and they're so close together it's a whole new game it's a whole new spectrum and the avalanche is kind of like a representative of that but more than just that um the uh, transitions themselves from scene to scene and especially within the first act are seen as going up above the trees they're going up above up around and it's almost as if that the tops of trees and the, an elevation itself is seen as a as a dangerous thing. You know, trepidation. You know, you're when you go up up above the trees, you're getting to the da- you're getting into a danger zone, something that you shouldn't be doing. You should be going lower towards the trunks of the trees. And another part of that where it's shown is when the company, after they split off from Glass and Bridger and Fitzgerald, that uh, they've gone up and over a waterfall and that path would lead them across and over the mountaintops outside of the timber line but some of their uh, scouts are saying that there's a better way along the river through the woods um and but yet they choose to go up and over the waterfall because they're choosing to trust somebody's uh map and their skill of the map and it's shown that that was a very arduous route it was very it was very tough on them they were cold and uh, they were still lost all throughout, but yet, yet they still find their way. But it's almost as if they were scorned by going above the tree line. And, and by the end of the movie, um, we, we see most of the shots have been towards the, the bottom of trees, towards uh, things, towards the, the, the safe ground. But by the end of the movie, Glass is almost above the trees. He's, he's coming up. The, the mountain and it ends where he's above some of the trees but he's also at the stability and it's almost this kind of halfway point between is he in the clear is he in stability or is he still kind of in this wishy-washy and kind of i thought it was also kind of to me i thought it was like conquering sort of that mm. transcendency like sort of like we talk about things being above and transcendent we always talk about it being like a deity kind of thing and being above everything else and like something i don't know something is out there above us all and i think that in this movie it's kind of something that needs to be conquered like man in this sense has to find its own inner Mm-hmm. Like deity, it's yeah. inner transcendency. If yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll dip deeper into the religious spiritual stuff into it. Where, but mostly through this movie, you're right. It's very much people are finding it for themselves. It's very personal. Like it's also very selfish. This whole aspect of how they see uh, like religion and spirituality, and also bleeds into how they see nature, where they're very conquering of nature. This whole movie, they're over pelts, where you know you're conquering nature, um, and. I mean, there's a lot more to trees, you know, the this the, the nature symbolism, the natural world, this, this, and that, life-giving through fire, yeah, yeah, we, we, we kind of get it, but um, that's kind of where we wanted to go with the trees, just kind of like, that's how they really tied in the story uniquely. So the next thing that we wanted to bring up, and the next symbol or motif, would be breath, and breath is very 
important to this story. It's very prevalent. It's very spoken about. Um, Glass is always telling Hawk and Hawk always telling um, Glass in the first act that, you know, as long as you have breath, you can survive, you can live. And this is a paraphrasing, of course. They're very much more poetic. Mm -hmm. But um, it is very shown that breath is very important, very critical, very, very... um, it's very shown, even physically, within the entire movie. With, you know, it's very cold. You can see breath. But the I read, I read this in another review that um, uh, when, the first time you really see breath and the first time it's really, like, a really important thing, other than them saying it, would be when the bear is mauling him himself. The camera gets so close that the bear's breath is covering the, the, the glass of the camera uh, as well as being shown in in the air, and you know this is very ominous and very present, very enforcing and forceful thing, with especially to the scene where it's it's almost like it's imposing its will. It's 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 there. You're seeing this threat that you know you may see in the screen, but it's it's almost bringing it to you. It's bringing you the reality of this brutality. It's a very realistic scene to to nature and how grizzly bears really do attack humans and, and other things and you know you're, you're really brought into the actual scene through the breath through the screen and um something that i noticed with that would be like glass's breath obviously would match that point but after glass has killed the bear and they've rolled down the hill together obviously the bear's breath has gone from very strong very prevalent very uh very uh very scene would it, it falters down it goes down it, it it fades away and kind of obviously through the wounds and the the crushing of glass it, his breath is starting to falter then too he's starting to peacefully go out you know these wounds are very taxing on him he's still holding on throughout all that breath but it's, it's dying down and then when fitzgerald stabs hawk he is he at that point he's honestly he's given glass a second wind pun intended um he you know at that point you know he's been kind of mumbly he's been kind of grumbly he's trying to preserve his throat that's been ripped apart but as soon as obviously you know through the emotion he's seething he's heaving he's trying to scream as loud as he can he's trying to scream trying to yell he's trying to speak he's trying to tell bridger you know he killed my son um and he you know he's given this extra bit of life and you know it's he's through the entire movie he's seething he's screaming he's you know hoarse you know his breath is very strong it's very intense throughout most of the the movie and the most and it happens to be my favorite part of this movie um symbolic symbolically wise and maybe not the plot wise but for as a symbol for what's going on within the characters um after Bridger and Fitzgerald have left, and he's crawled them out of his grave, and he finds his dead son's frozen body. He takes the uh, bit of moss from around, and it's like oh, one of the only green things, green if not living, but just at least you know represent re- representing life. Things in this frozen wasteland, and he puts it in Hawk's mouth, and obviously that's you know very symbolic, very kind of like a, a death ritual. Kind of thing representing the life there before, um, but it was interesting to me that it was almost like as as this whole motif between them, you know, as long as you keep breathing, it's almost like this kind of symbol of the breath that once was. That breath was life. Life, you know, was bringing the green. That no matter what, even in this frozen wasteland, 
that breath was what was bringing life to the scene, to this movie, to this world. Um, and my favorite part about this would be when he's, you know, after he's done that and he's, he's taking a break and he's breathing and the, the, the glasses once again getting fogged up from his breath. You're bring, you're really brought into the severity of his emotion. And like we're talking about how the transitions go above the trees to show the tribulation that the characters are going through. This is the first time that, at least I remember, that the camera has gone from literally on the ground looking up to the sky looking down. And his breath is prevalent, but it's really showing how this is a scene where he's his world is over. He's even said it in the, in, in this movie that oh, his, yeah, that's his whole world. Above everything and and anything. <clears throat> um, at the end, when he's really pissed, he he well, not even pissed. He's sort of broken, not broken in the end, but he's sort of just like he's all I had. He's all that kept me grounded, literally this kid and and that showed in the beginning of the movie his groundedness something that kept him at least to you know somewhere physical somewhere tangible is now gone now he's above everything and ev- and anything and it's not necessarily a good thing yeah he's just like what do you call that when like you just you're just he's like completely let go like his yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I can't he's think of the word the either. Yeah, he's, he's to the wind. Yeah, he's Yeah, everything's to the wind. But the the all the other sounds have come out. There's no music. It's only his breath going over the scene, and you're seeing clouds and things. And then my favorite part of this is when it the scene comes back down into Fitzgerald. The breath between these two characters is seamlessly in this transition. He literally from the intake to the outtake. I've I've watched it four times now. It's the breathing is completely tied together. And I read in a review that. It was the they were they were saying that it was going from breath uh, from glasses breath to like the, this purity of air in nature where it's well above everything that's pure and then it's coming down into Fitzgerald which he's kind of poisoned things so he's smoking a tobacco and he's kind of poisoning the air around him with tobacco it's almost a representation of this man's poisoning of the story almost um, but to me what I found was that with this breath it's like Fitzgerald took Hawk. And now their breathing is together. They're tied together through this event. But now Fitzgerald is now the only thing keeping Glass alive, essentially, at this point. Where his, he's literally breathing for Fitzgerald and to find Fitzgerald, to kill him, to do whatever. So it's it's like this point of the story where we're visually and, and, and like with our ears, we're hearing and seeing this transition and within glasses motivations his life his spirit his everything um mm-hmm. yeah sorry i'm just reading my notes to make sure i got all that um and it's interesting because at the very end when fitz or not fitzgerald i'm sorry when fitzgerald has died but um it's, it's the very very last scenes very last thing we see on screen um, Glass is looking on. He's he's injured once again. He he's breath breathing is heavy once again. It's very prevalent to the to the audio we're hearing. And he's looking on and he sees his wife and she looks pleased and she turns around and walks away. And all throughout the movie, she's been showing up almost as an encouraging, almost as another motivation to keep on going. Something that once was that was once keeping him breathing. And. And then he turns to us and he looks at us 
and his breathing it's, it's, it's almost more intense we're brought into it his breathing is once again taking over the camera and it's almost like he's looking at us as, as if like his actions in history the, the things that he was looking for then on at this point in his life whatever it was you know whatever he did in history which he did a lot it was almost like as if it was for us the as the viewers everything that he was doing from then on was almost like we were his motivation it was almost mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. like he's now breathing for us it's no longer anything in his life his life is completely done and over with his past and now he's moving on and it was just something that i found interesting to that end mm-hmm. Do any more thoughts you have on breath mm-hmm. okay good <laughs> we're gonna move on to fire next Alrighty, so we're going to dive down into fire now. So, obviously, I mean, this one's kind of a short one. It, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious throughout things. It's kind of like a more of the cliche things, you know. It's life-giving. It gives you sustenance slash warmth. It's salvation. Um, but it's interesting because there's also, like, you know, throughout the movie, you know, you're following the light of it. You know, there's, you know, especially at the point where Glass is found by the company. You know, he's literally walking towards the torch of the captain. Um, you know, it, it's very prevalent, you know, that it's a, an important thing, but it's kind of more of an obvious tone. Um, it's a very, it's also kind of like a court for discussion. Most of the things that have happened, most of the conversations that have had that have really exposed some deeper, uh, emotions or aspects of the characters have been around the fire. At the very beginning, Bridger is cutting or is preparing a, a bare necklace for glass and, you know, that's around a fire. They're talking about that around a fire. Um, <clears throat> Bridger and Fitzgerald talk a little bit about religion and about their past around the fire. Glass and the captain do it around their fire as well. But most of the things are happening around smoke, around fire. Especially, you know, even in the beginning of the movie where, you know, there's there's some quippy uh, dialogue going on. Some, some innuendos and things like that. Most of the things around a fire, it's very much kind of... Um, you know, it's kind of simple, like, that was life, you know, life was around fires back then, you know, it had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also very, you know, it consume, it's a very consuming thing in this story as well, it consumes wood, it consumed that tree in the very beginning, um, from the first fight, uh, it, it literally kind of consumes, uh, the wounds on his neck when he put the gunpowder into his own neck and lit it on fire, um, it's all. It's also like it's also uh, you know it also gave peace as well. So it's almost like there's this whole parallel where it's you know with a fire you have to consume something to give something. So it's you know, this whole time this fire you know it's consuming this wood but it's giving warmth, it's giving life. With uh, glasses naked, you know consumes with pain. It consumes the 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 flesh and he's paying the price with pain but then it gives him relief and he ends up sleeping and being able to peacefully breathe and eat and drink um and it's this whole thing it's like this whole vengeance story that's happening um it's almost like it's consuming himself so he can give himself into vengeance but yet he's by the end of it he's been used up in a way this fire it's it within his vengeance this whole time he's doing these things it's consuming his body it's you know it's at one point it's you know building up his body it's giving him a drive but slowly by the end of it he's almost getting hurt more than he's actually doing any damage and so his vengeance has literally turned him into something else his fire has consumed him and then given something else to his, his life and did you find anything else about fire within this story at all or did you find any thoughts or have anything on fire? Let me see your... Oh, yeah, my notes, yeah. 
Start taking a little note break. Mm. Because it was kind of an obvious thing with fire, you know, what's happening. We all know kind of the fire, you know, there's been plenty of other movies and stories about fire, so it wasn't the deepest symbol. No, I mean, like, I don't know. A lot of their gatherings were around fire, mm-hmm. things like that, but... Yeah. It, it wasn't too integral. I, it's a small section anyway, so... I just didn't know if you thought of anything else no, either. what you said makes sense. Okay, good. What you said makes complete sense. Oh, thank you. Perfect. <laughs> now we're going to move over into water. So now with water, especially like river specifically, river and water is um they're they're a much deeper um symbol throughout the story and mm-hmm. and what what were we saying we we were just saying I was like Logan, we're talking about all these elements. I feel like we're on friggin' Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> like we're waterbenders. I know, I know. We're we're just moving on through the the natural cycle. Mm-hmm. Um it's interesting that uh, water as well is also a life-giving symbol. So there's things that come out of it. So the elk in the beginning, this meat. Well, anytime we see elk, they're moving through the water. And at that point, elk are seen as food, specifically. Especially, they're huge animals, so they're very, uh, very valuable animals then. Um, fish, um, they reside in water. So especially at that point where glass is caught a fish and he eats it raw and you know, uh, the original sushi maker. Um, there, there's so much life to be given through water, uh, you know, even just drinking from it. You know, most of the the activities surrounded the water where they were trying to get sustenance. A lot of the things were near the water. The whole pelt operation was right next to the river. Glass, and that they, they followed the river for the most part until they, you know, becomes dangerous and ties into the water is also dangerous. You know, he's fleeing... When he's fleeing, he's getting caught up in the water. Anytime, uh, a lot of times, the Native Americans were, they were traveling along the river and they were causing havoc and, you know, looking for, on their quest, looking for uh, the chief's missing daughter. Um, they, they were near the water, so they avoid the water. So there's danger around water as well as his life. So it's this kind of watering hole thing where it's like, yeah, you can go to the water, but you might get caught up in something. Uh, it's just a symbol of, you know, natural violence, the rapids that glass fell through, um, the waterfall, you know, a lot of action happened within water, you know, glass was dropped in water, you know, water has always been seen as a very violent, turbulent thing, especially when it's a thick river, um, but it's also a cleanser, it's a cleanser of things, because when glass goes through it, it's cleaned off his body, uh, several times, characters are seen bathing or rinsing their head Fitzgerald or Bridger or even Glass you know when he gets back to the fort um but even when uh Glass finally kills Fitzgerald well yeah he ends up fatally wounding him and then he throws him into the river to go be given to the to the native tribe uh and we see his body being flowed down the river, obviously, is kind of an obvious thing. It's almost like, you know, letting go, cleansing out the vengeance cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was interesting that with the river, this natural violence thing, is that Glass and the crew, at the very beginning of the first act, they're constantly moving up the river. They're, they're paddling the boat. It's almost like they're, you know, they're traveling against a will, against a natural will. Um, Glass is supposed to be this character that's very into nature, 
uh, very knowledgeable of it, but it's almost like he's, you know, in this first act before things go haywire, that he's going up the river and he's resisting this, this, this nature, the thing he should know to go along with, um, you know, and the crew, they go up their waterfall into the mountains and instead of going along the river as well. They're very, especially since they're a fur company, they're, they're, they're taking from nature, so they're not going to be as um, into the natural spectrum. Uh, Fitzgerald is probably one of the most uh, prevalent characters that disregards nature in general, at least the, the nature of nature. Obviously, he's in nature, he's working with pelts, you know, he, he's, he's uh, got very good woodscraft as well, but he's almost very disrespectful to nature he had kind of abandons you know he you know he, he was very much for going up the river going down the river you know into the danger but then you know his wisdom kind of takes over and he he ditches the water altogether the, the entire time he you know especially from the point where he tricks bridger into uh leaving the river i don't believe we see him near a river scene until the very end um but he ends up dying and and dying in water and it's almost like water is this kind of uh kind of a sense of um oh you know what sorry i had a real typo on my notes let me reread this which part oh no oh sorry yeah but it's almost like because they're um because they're always uh, avoiding nature and, and and things, it's almost that because it keeps getting revolved back into the water, it's almost kind of like uh, humanity's calling card to back to nature, where it's where it's you you have these consequences if you go against nature, where you know the water's going to overtake you and it ends up overtaking everybody at one point in this. It's very you know going back and forth across the characters. Um, is there anything else you notice about water? Um, you talked about the end, right? Yeah. I noticed that um, also every single time, at least when Glass, no, when they're, okay, any point that Glass or the company, whoever is at the water, so is the tribe. Mm-hmm. It's always like, mm. it's like the source of conflict, but. Also the source of escape. It's, it's kind of like. so weird. But it's like. It's weird because when they're on the same side of the river, so you know that there's two points of land, right? There's like the river in the middle and there's one point of land on the other side. You guys know how rivers work. And then normally when Glass and his company are on the same side as the tribe, it's always the source of a conflict until the end when Glass is face to face with the tribe on the other side of the river, it's a source of release. Like it's a source of freedom flowing between the two. It's finally like this mirror to where he mm-hmm. left nature, but now here it is in his face, and he can see it clearly yeah, instead yeah, of being yeah. caught up in conflict. It's like a meeting point for both instead of like being on the same side and having you know both of both the tribe and the company wanted you know some sort of revenge, the tribe being you know the French stole the chief's daughter or whatever happened, and then you know glass being you know going after Fitzgerald or whatever it is, they both had some sort of negative emotion. they're on that same side, finally, they can face each other in the end. It's almost like the balancing out like where water can balance things out as well, yeah, hmm, I like that, yeah, that was good, mm-hmm. dope <laughs> <laughs> um. Water bending brought to you by Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we're going to move into uh, the next topic, which is going to be just violence in general. 
Alright, so if you've seen this movie, you can obviously tell that violence is a huge aspect of this. Almost every scene is filled with some sort of violence, whether it's natural or not. No. Um, no. <laughs> You're a <laughs> um, And it's interesting because like, in this day and age, we're, we're really excluded from what I consider acceptable violence. Or what we would call natural violence. Because we'd like to exclude ourselves personally from violence in general that we don't need it. But... Uh, us being animals itself, there there is a form of acceptable violence even towards animals. But so like things like mauling bears, bears mauling people or other animals, um, and then us humans killing animals for food, money, or survival, which um, even to this day is still necessary. But we don't see it as a very it's not our social thing. norm anymore. Yeah. Like we don't need it for like our clothing. Yeah. We don't need it for survival. I mean, we yeah. do, but like yeah. we don't have to go do it ourselves. Yeah, but we we now have other alternatives that have alien alienated us from that aspect of nature. Yeah, we have um, grocery stores now that we can go into and can cover up that the fact that we um, see violence, which is actually like a really huge thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That like we can we we don't want to we like. We like to dissociate ourselves with mm-hmm. things that are violent. Absolutely. We, I mean, which is like, oh, yeah, makes yeah. sense. It, it makes sense, we would, because <laughs> it, it, it is a very uncomfortable thing, and especially now that, you know, we can have a higher standard of living, we can disassociate ourselves, we but can But we also haven't always been that way, because mm-hmm. the word violence is more recent, I would say. Yeah. I am doubt if you go back then to Glass's time, and you were like, wow, that's violent, I don't think he They'd would. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Right. This is real life, buddy. Right. Buck up, bud. Right, you had to. <laughs> Hand me that knife. Right. Yeah, yeah. And on and on violence on on both, not only with nature, animals, things like that, but kind of on both sides. Not that it was necessary, but both sides thought that it was. I mean, with the tribe yeah. and with Glass's company. Yeah. I mean, tribe would protect themselves in you know violent means, and so mm-hmm. would the company, and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, no, you're right. And then this film honestly brings violence back into modern reality. It's it's uh, showing us how really violence really isn't separate from our lives. Nature isn't super uh, separate, you know. Uh, um, in this whole movie, it's like this brutal nature. It it mixes with man made violence. It almost makes them one and the same. Almost, you know. We we you know, as modern context can see this violence. Be like, oh, that's man on man violence. It's bad. But with this movie, it's kind of like, is it really? Because especially when it's like you know, they're defending themselves or they're championing for something or they're um, trying to get some gain. It's almost like the, what's honestly the difference? It honestly blurs blurs those lines between. Uh, any sort of violence being acceptable versus being damnable. Um, obviously, there's rules and laws to the land, and you know, murder was seen as being bad. You know, killing one another, especially because as being human beings, being emotional, it's seeing on, on a personal level, it's only only on the personal level is it seen as bad. But mm-hmm. we see so many f- nameless characters getting killed, and and uh, nameless animals being slaughtered. It, it's almost like if it's not personal to you then it really didn't matter at this mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like that's how life really was. And I, I po- posed a question similar to this on Facebook, and I got some really great um, comments back. And you can still comment if you'd like to go back, if you have any thoughts on it as well. And I was trying to kind of push for what really is acceptable violence, what really is unacceptable violence, why we can see, uh, you know, some people can see hunters killing animals being fine versus other people not, versus everybody seeing... Um, you know, human on human contact being, being uh, uh, repulsive, 
Whereas also we also see animals or nature violence towards humans kind of being like most of the time we're kind of seeing it as uh, kind of like, well, we told you so, like you, you messed up or, or just it, it being okay. And I just got, was trying to more pose the kind of the question, like, is it really, is there really any different types of, of violence? Is there unacceptable violence in general? And I mean, obviously there is according to law of and stuff, but, but more of just kind of wanting to bring up the difference of why do we see as human violence not being any of the same as, you know, an elk uh, killing another elk for his harem, you know, you know, skewering each other for things. I think it's because, you know, it goes back to biblical times and things like that where, you know, in Genesis they talk about how beasts are supposed to be for us and things like that. And also, animals don't talk. So they don't have, like, human quality. They can't go, ah, you're hurting me. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. you can get past that yeah. because it- they're just this this beast you know what i mean mm-hmm. but you cannot get past um no. human violence excuse no. me i'm like hiccuping so bad over here no, you're good you're good you know human violence because of our you know mirror neurons and the things yeah. that we use apathy and empathy and all that science mm-hmm. um uh that was good um i like that it's also interesting, it's like, because we are still this part of nature, but yet we're also not, it's so interesting because, you know, we can sit there and justify that, you know, we don't need to be in nature anymore because we have these tools or we're not as equipped as these other animals. And it's almost like, why, like, are we cursed to have dominion over animals or are we kind of blessed to be stewards of? And I, I'm, I think that's kind of a choice we as humans make because I think there's other ways. And not just because Native Americans were one with nature as well. I think there's ways to be kind of stewardships over, you know, nature and stuff. It's just interesting how we humans, which we're not the most... I mean, we're, the, we're, we're obviously the most intelligent. We're the most capable of, of creation and and destruction in, in, in this natural world. And we're endubed in it. But it's so interesting that we can really kind of take ourselves apart and... I think more of the question is this movie kind of poses is like are we stewards or are we dominators are we are we in dominion of nature or are we co like co do we coexist with nature while we can respect it and I think that anytime we showed that we were stewards of this earth you know while yeah we can take these pelts from these these beavers or take these animals out of the nature out of their natural world that we can still kind of combine it together you know this violence isn't something that we can avoid 100 percent, especially if we want to survive and it puts it in a very dire situation where it's either meat is life or nothing you know there's and, and even in the setting it's not like it's just summertime where you know you could justify oh they could eat berries and tubers and and roots and stuff but they absolutely needed this meat to survive there was no other food to be had mm-hmm. other than the fort um but it, it's just interesting how it kind of blurs the lines of where, you know, is human violence really this horrible thing until it's a personal aspect? Um, while, you know, the other human characters sympathize with Glass for the death of Hawk, nobody was going to really do anything without Hawk. Like, Fitzgerald was getting away with it, even to Bridger, um, until Glass came back into it and exposed. It's, it, it's almost kind of this thing where it's like, you know, human violence can only be justified through personal anecdotes mm-hmm. you know even in our own life this modern day you know with judges and stuff you know until he's proven guilty until someone said yeah he did kill my whatever he did kill whoever you know there's no way we can really see it or accept it mm-hmm. 
Agreed. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, anything else on violence? No, that's it. All right. Uh, the next thing we're going to move on to is the, the religious and spiritual aspects of this movie. Alrighty, folks, we're back. So, there's a lot of sometimes even more subtle symbols and representations of religion and spirituality, especially for the time. Um, obviously, it was a very troubling time where, you know, there wasn't any internet, there was hardly any infrastructure. You know, religion was probably just more taught about, you know, or taught from, you know, your pa and your ma on the little house in the prairie and they whatever they said essentially is what you believed in um and a lot wow. of this and yeah sorry <laughs> that more of a way to start here mm. oh man allergies were hitting out of the blue um and there's a lot of things where it's religion and uh spirituality in itself is kind of almost seen as a very selfish aspect thing and i think the best person that um the best character that uh, has the most religious symbolism is probably Fitzgerald himself, which is ironic because he's our antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably shows the selfishness of it the most out of, you know, every, he always kind of mentioned it here and there, but it's usually in a, a, a sentence or a, a bit of dialogue that was tr- at a point where he was trying to get some gain from somebody. Or I think the most clear part of it was when he's smothering glass after tricking him into agreeing to have him killed and he's like he starts off giving a the prayer a prayer and he's praying and then he kind of it's just it's kind of half-assed and he just and he just ends up just kind of uh mocking religion and glass at the same time saying you know like god better get here and soon and save your soul if he's gonna save your soul it's not up to me to say this and Things like that, you know, very mocking, very prideful in itself. And I think and it's, it's great because I think he's also one of the characters that only one given that he has some backstory with that kind of mindset. His father had a story where he was delirious in the woods and, you know, from hunger. And he believes that he saw God on a tree limb, you know, through the sunlight. And it turned out to just be a big, fat, juicy squirrel. And, he, and to quote Fitzgerald, he shot that son of a bitch and ate him. Um... Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, that's pretty clear, you know, a, a man taking, you know, his perceived uh, deity and then shooting it and eating it and consuming it himself. And that's very much what Fitzgerald has done this entire thing. He's taken things that have been sacred, things that have been uh, uh, personable to a person and very integral to other people's lives and has just consumed them along with kind of like the fire aspect, you know, just he's consumed it for his own gain. Uh, there's other places where uh I mean he honestly uses religion as a as a justification for his his actions you know through the prayer through through uh just just kind of his attitude you know this being a god fearing man so to speak mm-hmm. he um oh there are other examples of uh religion in here there's uh, especially like in the one of the dreams that glass had in his delirium where he uh, he was put into a little sweat lodge, and he had this this vision of uh, coming across a desecrated church, and uh, there's there's a bell swinging, and it makes no noise, and there was very violent and almost disturbing uh, religious artwork along the walls that gets portrayed, and <coughs> you know it it um 
kind of connects through the violence and to uh, kind of, uh, it has a lot of Christ-like stuff in it as well. So kind of like a rebirth kind of, or re resurrection kind of uh, motif through it. And that's kind of uh, prevalent throughout the story as well as kind of perseverance where a lot of the things it's, uh, you know, the coming back again, a lot of the the artwork was kind of something along the lines of where, you know, people were pushing up against something or, you know, withstanding something. Um, and I think one of the interesting was, it was, you know, along with that was because of the bell swaying. It, it was kind of tying in uh, kind of the breath and some other things where the bell, it's swinging, you can't hear it. It's kind of like breathing, though. It's continuously swinging. It's kind of like glass. He's still holding on, even if it's a quiet semblance of it. And, uh, and, and the, as he's walking into it, you see a lamb, and then he's holding his son again in the dream, and then it, his son turns into a tree, which is interesting how it was pulling it all together, pulling back that stability that he wants and is, is searching for, and what he used to be, you know, kind of sort of the sacrificial lamb to the, to the story almost, mm -hmm. which was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and You're talking about Hawk as the yeah, sacrificial Yeah, Hawk as the son, yeah. That's interesting. Interesting, because the only reason I came up with that is because it showed the lamb first and then showed the artwork. No, 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 no I, I know, but what I'm, I'm, yeah. that's, that's interesting, too. At least to the story, I'd say. I'm not sure exactly what he would be the sacrificial son other than to Glass's vengeance or his mo motive in the oh, story. Oh, no, right. And I think it's interesting, too, when we talk about, like, um, like lambs biblically too like the lamb of god and blah 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 and it's always this soft sort of innocent thing i don't know I yeah. that, that, that's interesting too oh yeah absolutely and it's, it's it's such a strange parallel into this story which is so full of non-innocence mm -hmm. <laughs> taking innocence mm -hmm. um the, the captain uh after uh, Glass exposes what Fitzgerald done. Uh, the captain of the company blames Bridger alongside of Fitzgerald and threatens him at gunpoint with uh, screaming that he should recite the Lord's Prayer. And it's interesting. He he doesn't follow up. Cause it, almost with the implication that, you know, you're, as soon as you say this prayer, I'm going to shoot you and hope, hope that you go to heaven. Yeah, because I think, okay, in our religion we don't do this, but I know that in... Is it Catholicism? It, yeah, it's Catholicism. Or, or it's like lots of other religions besides our own personally is that um, they read you, what is it called, last rites or something? Something like that, yeah. Or like yeah. you repeat your last prayer or last rites. Or, so I'm so sorry if I'm getting this wrong to all of you folks who are not our religion, but... You know, I know that it, it has something to do with, like, a priest will come to the bedside of the elderly and just read them the last, like, the last rites or the last prayer, like, whatever it is. Um, so that, that's interesting that he had him, mm -hmm. that he threatened him. He threatened Bridger, who mm -hmm. was, again, the young boy who was there and, you know, Fitzgerald sort of lied to. Yeah, essentially innocent. About Glass and his son Hawk. And Bridger had no idea that Fitzgerald hurt you know, killed Hawk. Hawk and lied about Glass. So, you know, the captain threatening him and asking him to, you know, say his, mm -hmm. pr that prayer, yeah. um, you know, yeah. say your Yeah, say your prayer. No, you, t totally, totally understandable. And it's interesting how, especially towards the end, where religion and, and these prayers were coming into the storyline, it's almost this kind of weird, where, uh, you know, this weird thing that the humans characters 
were almost forcing religion in on the land as well as law, where most of the stories happening is completely lawless, completely chaotic uh, structure. There's there's no real structured dichotomy to anything, and it's almost like they're using religion to or spirituality in general to kind of justify themselves and justify what they're doing and how they're doing it and. Even the captain was doing it, this scene kind of Goody Tissue's character. And it's almost kind of like a symbol to how this la- the land they were living in was kind of like a, like, you know, it's a lot of times you'll hear people say, you know, it's godless country where it's completely ruthless. There's no, nothing they do is anything compared to, to, to nature, yet it's something that they hold, keep continuously hold on to and justify their means with. And um, unless you have anything else that you thought of religiously or spiritual, spiritually within this story? I I think that there's lots of um, sacrifice for what people deem the greater good, right? Like Mm -hmm. Fitzgerald. Okay, if you think about like, you know, when you're in high school and you talk about like this anti-hero. So like, okay, I'm going to school right now to be an, an English teacher, so... Forgive me for five seconds, but we talk about the anti-hero a lot with me and my students. So we talk about the, an anti-hero is this person who does things for what they think is the greater good. Just because we don't think it's the greater good doesn't mean that they're necessarily, right? Like bad people. Yeah. But, um, like, so, okay, Fitzgerald, in a sense, sacrifices Hawk, right? And, yeah. and, and, and. Go, he goes on this lie and because he wants to get money and get out yeah. of having to watch over glass and he's kind of a brat mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean he's bad though especially for the time especially for the time so people make a lot of sacrifices mm-hmm. for what they think is the greater mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. no you're completely right and the story is told through glass's perspective so of course Fitzgerald's gonna be the villain mm-hmm Whereas, e- even though this is a pretty stark... It even though to Fitzgerald's be, kind a total dick. Absolutely, total, total <laughs> douchebag. Absolutely, you know. and But like even but if, you, if we were to be able to go through his eyes, he wouldn't be. You're totally right. I really like mm-hmm. that, how you tied sacrifice mm-hmm. into that, too. And kind of, of taking... And, and all Fitzgerald ever known was taking things into your own hand. Making God come to you. What do you make God? What is your God? What is your deity? Well, I am my own deity. That's what he is. Mm -hmm. So he takes and kills like his father. His father did it in a way where it was this animal. Mm -hmm. We talked earlier about um, animal Mm -hmm. violence and things like that. What we deem, you know, to be worse, animal Mm -hmm. violence or human violence. But he took what his father did, which is, you know, animal violence, which we as humans deem lesser than human violence and he made it a bigger thing but he essentially took that and was you know that's his his god quotes his deity was taking what 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 basically taking and making the situation what what he needed to make out of it he taking control of his situation taking the money out of the bank taking Mm -hmm. a life taking a Mm -hmm. taking a body and desecrating Mm -hmm. it you're totally right Mm -hmm. totally so, yeah. Totally got that, yeah. Yeah. That is dope, girl. Yeet. We high-fived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she's my best friend, so I'm going to include her in a lot of these. And, of course, with her literary brain, she's a perfect companion for this. So, hope you're all enjoying this at home. Um, we're going to dip dip into another topic. 
uh, that we're going to talk about. Is right this now. the last topic? No, or there's do we one. Have one more? We have one more after that. So okay. we're nearing the end, people. Don't worry. This is this this will be over soon if you're dreading it. But we're going to dip into uh, a certain th- a, a thing that I like to call glasses rebirth. So we're going to dip into that right now. So something that was really interesting that got pointed out to me in another analysis that I was reading was that kind of there's a several moments where glass was reborn so to speak and those are the times when he came out of the dirt grave he came out of the water and then he came out of the sweat tent or the the sweat lodge or whatever you want to call that he came out of that that hut that his uh native american friend built for him um and it's interesting because i mean it's, it's pretty obvious you know coming out of the dirt he came out you know slightly stronger than he was before he's able to crawl now you know, he went to his son, and he, you know, was gaining his breath back. And then he slowly and surely fixed his neck, and he got a little bit stronger. And then when he came out of the water after he had been chased away by the warring tribe. And I'm sorry for anybody who knows what the tribe is called. I, I, I don't, I don't want to mispronounce the, the name of it, because I know what it is, but I can't pronounce it. So we're just going to call it the warring tribe for now. So I just wanted to make that a quick Are you note. about the re? Yes, the re, but something else. But yeah, anyway, yeah, okay. you're, you're totally right. Okay, so I, yeah, I forgot that they called him that. Yeah, so the re, after he'd been dipped into the water from And we then, hope the, the re isn't derogatory, is it? I don't think so. I think it's just a... If it is, we're sorry, but sorry. that's what they call it in the movie, and we are, we... Not professional. Yeah, PC I'm people. so, we're sorry, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, so, quick side note. So after he'd been pushed into the water by the re and flowed down, he was finally able to kind of sort of hobble around and walk. And then after he came into the sweat tent, his infection was gone, and he was finally kind of... No, he was not even kind of. He was fully active again and got his strength enough, well enough back. Um, it was just really interesting because I didn't think about it that the first couple times I watched it until I'd done this. And every time, you know, seeing it stronger, you know, seeing seeing how that really did tie in pretty well. Um, but it was interesting that I, I saw another, a sense, kind of a rebirth as well. Which was something I talked to my wife about, and she thought it was interesting as well. Was that after Fitzgerald's death, he, yeah, after he throws him into the water and gives him up to the to the re that are are watching him. It's interesting because the shot right after that, after he's had his whole the 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 climax come down a bit. There's a very triangular shot of the blood going towards the river, and it very much looks like a canal, almost like could be like a birth canal. And it's interesting that, oh, what does Fitzgerald say? Essentially, with, with Fitzgerald, it's you know he was you know kind of saying like, is this really what you want? This ain't gonna bring your boy back. And um, his his Native American friend that ended up getting hung by the 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 French with the sign around his neck which actually means i, I learned this the, the the sign means that we are all savages oh wow so that, that's deeper so enough. yeah so basically glass um in his super state of hunger or or, or like you know sickness, and, sickness and, yeah. and hunger and all that crap he meets a, a, another pawnee so another um person another, another native american boy man whatever that's like his son so yeah. it reminds him of his son and they meet up um, you know, just by happenstance. And, um, unfortunately that, that person is killed, but, um, before he is, he is killed, his friend that he meets, um, he talks a little bit about revenge, this mm-hmm. idea of, 
just like revenge and how it's not worth it really like what like but the way he words it is that it's up to god essentially it, it, mm-hmm. you know re- revenge isn't in your hands it's in god's hands and glass is reminded of that as, as before right before he um hands him over to the pond or to the three i apologize and it's interesting because it, it's such a weird thing because it, it was always bothering me. I'm like, how how did that tie in? How did that tie in there? Because the thing that was puzzling me is that Glass had already fatally, fatally wounded uh, Fitzgerald. And he may have been able to make it out, but uh, alive, you know, because Glass, he was probably just as tough as Glass. But at that point, it seemed that the wounds were much more deeper and severe and in, in specific spots that Glass, the Glasses appeared to be more... Uh, withstandable versus Fitzgerald getting impaled in the stomach and the back of the leg and the, the fingers and stuff, which is really intense and brutal. So it's almost like... Oh, I'm completely forgetting my, my point along with that, but it's, it's almost like, was it really the right thing to do in general? It's almost like, yeah, he gave him up, but was it really, honestly, a, a good climax? And I, I think that it, it's shown because right after that fight Fitzgerald isn't as or not Fitzgerald sorry uh Glass is not at all strong like he was before the other rebirth it's almost like this whole thing he rebirthed into something lesser mm-hmm. you know it's it's like he didn't he chose this he chose his vengeance path but he truly did get scorned in it and it, it, immediately after that canal scene uh with the blood uh, I like to call it he that's when he climbs up to the the top of the uh, on the top of the mountain almost where we see his wife and is his wife really satisfied it looks like she is it, it, satisfied with him and smiling you know, amicably and just walks away you know thinking leading to that we might think that he's um fulfilled her her side that she would want to be at peace with but maybe that was just his mind telling you know kind of visualizing the release that that original drive of protecting his son protecting his wife and then killing Fitzgerald that's just fleeting away and he, it might be satisfied but not within him it's not actually a positive thing that would be happening you know it's you know it's almost like showing that you know, alongside of that, like that drive, why he might be looking at us at the very end is, is is very much like I have absolutely nothing now. What, what can I do in this life to make up for this? Like looking at us at the audience, like is it for you? Is it for this posterity? And you know, this whole vengeance. You know, at first it's shown that it's giving him drive against violence, drive against all of this natural conundrums that are put in his his way, but. In the end, when he had a chance to let it go, <clears throat> his vengeance, you know, when it took over, it, honest, it it caused an honorable man's death. It caused the captain's death. You know, he was a very honorable man. He was very good to his word. He tried his best. He made the, the captain was kind of a a rich a rich boy putting into a, a good job through his dad, but he made the honest best of it. And he wasn't the best leader, but he did his best and to do right by his men, even by glass and. He ended up getting killed because he got tied up into it. So it was just really this kind of interesting thing where, you know, not all this, not all the rebirth that happened was, was in a positive light. And, you know, it led to more than he needed. And it was interesting that he let 
up Fitzgerald to the to the re because like we were talking about in the how Fitzgerald was very disrespectful to nature you know he had a very huge fear and animosity towards Native Americans so I guess you could say that Glass thought that putting Fitzgerald into the hands of the re was almost like putting nature back into balance putting it back quote-unquote god's way where you know spirituality and god were very tied into the world they were the natural world they were in so that the re um kind of would have been kind of like that and i might talk about that more in a minute but it was just interesting how that he you know turned into that but you know by his reactions it was pretty visibly shown that it could have been a very bad thing that he even did that and that he regretted it and that it didn't do what he thought it was going to do and that was an interesting thing that I thought of and found out. Was there anything that you, along those lines that you thought, Bray? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're good on that? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, that, that was just a short little side note that I had thought up of a, a couple couple days ago. So just something that we've been talking about as well. Um, now we're going to dive into our last topic. We're going to talk about uh, the symbolism with the Native Americans. So this should be, get, should be getting pretty interesting here. Alrighty, so obviously... Native Americans were huge in this entire movie, and as well as that time period. They were very prevalent throughout all of it, throughout the violence, throughout the nature aspects, throughout the trees even. They're intermingling with everything else. And at first glance, they could, in, within this story, could have been seen as just being used up again. Um, you know, abused, stereotyped, white men's oppression. You know, the characters aren't as deep, but... In all honesty, it's only because that's kind of, I believe, one of the intentions of it. They're not as deeply pronounced or deeply into the story as, say, Glass or these other characters. But I think it's because it actually has a more interesting aspect to the uh, to the storyline and to the symbolism themselves. It's almost as if they really are kind of these hybrids, this, this halfway in the natural world and then halfway through the, the man's world. And, you know, it might be a little cliche that they're more connected, but... The only reason I'm saying that is because, especially due to the main characters, most of them being of European descent, um, these these Native Americans, they're as native as the elk and the fish and the trees that are even more prevalent throughout the, the setting. Is that they were there first, obviously. They were there you know, as long as these other animals and aspects are there in the story. It's their... Um, you know, they're literally this 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 touching point that you can kind of reach out and grasp. And obviously, you know, as we see through history, it's not always the most friendliest of outreaches to nature. But it's almost like you know, through through kind of the parallels of them, it's shown that nature really doesn't care for the white man, but it can't use them up. They're too destructive. You know the the white men they're they're the, with the pelts and the logging and the use of the of the resources and land and the way that they took over even the Native Americans' land and their ways of life and the way that just agriculture and infrastructure were built even back then is that they were very just destructive and you know nature can't work that way it's not the way that it works it wasn't co cohabitable or coexisting wise um, but the natives they can use. The, the white man essentially but it's at, with a cost and, and you know we see that through the trading we see that through uh you know as they get guns or they still have these conflicts and you know they they're getting consistently pushed away further away you know the ones that embrace the 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 newcomers they they often get scorned a lot 
Um, you know, obviously the a lot of the prices are death and oppression. Uh, specifically in this story, uh, Powaka uh, is hidden with while the French are giving them horses and while they're searching of her. And it's interesting where it's, you know, they're, they're being gifted these horses and these rifles and they're giving up these pelts they've already stolen where, you know, on the search for Powaka, the chief's daughter. But yeah, it's the French themselves that have her. So it's this kind of little symbol of this unhealthy relationship so to speak where on the surface it totally seems it would be totally like you know yeah we're we're gonna help you you know even if it's unwillingly we're helping you through this you know we're co you know coexisting and we're 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 getting this work done together but in actuality it's kind of a two-edged sword where it's like the only reason they're really giving that up is because they themselves feel almost either guilty or entitled to giving that because they have the daughter for their pleasure and it's a really sick and disgusting scene but just like i was bringing up in the, in the past thing um uh when hickok the glasses pawnee friend gets hung and they write a sign the french write a sign all, all wrong his chest saying that we are all savages it's kind of like you know we are two completely different things but in the end we are all our uh parts of this nature and parts of this brutality and this base sense of of property or base sense of territory or needs or wants and things and you know while you know I can see I mean obviously it was a little racist and a little prejudiced obviously they hung up for just being purely Native American and not like them but you know it, it was a pretty accurate telling of how how really that violence ties into that and it's interesting because throughout this story the Native Americans they're consistently winning these fights or consistently winning these these uh oh, how do i say it? these uh conflicts you know they're they're chasing off glass the entire time they from the very get go they take over the the pelt operation they uh they slaughter the two men that decided to uh stay with the raft instead of ditching it and to cover their trails and you know even towards the end doing you know, Powaka gets her revenge on her on her assailant and escapes and they live on peacefully with minimal uh casualties other than the first conflict but you know they're they're winning these battles in a losing war we know that from history you know we know that from what goes on and what is going on today mm-hmm. um and the reason and glass is special as well because he's connected to this natural world to these native world obviously through his wife and his son hawk and it's interesting because he's already lost his wife by this point the only contact that he has is hawk is his only real claim to being deep as deeply connected as he is outside of his skill and as soon as they're both gone he it's really shown that he's out of place with nature and it's until that this Pawnee friend comes and issues him back in i.e the sweat lodge and clearing up his infection he's truly uh juxtaposed outside of it and you know even through you know the bear mauling and everything that he's doing and he's healing it's everything's getting in his way you know the cold the the water and all this um you know he and he reconnects to this natural world and reconnects to this respect that he's had for the native cultures and you know this is he saves Powaka kind of out of this this respect he's, he's he's like nodding to it like he's like establishing that he's truly back in uh regardless even if the other re-know it or not um 
and he, you know, he's nodding into it because he's he's always had this personal connection to nature, and he's nodding to it. You know, he's 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 uh, he's acknowledging it once again. And he's ready to show him in the the story. And but Fitzgerald, though, he's scalped and he's scorned by nature for his disrespect and and unacknowledged. And he it, it's shown that Fitzgerald, you know, especially from being scalped, he's he's very. Uh, Appropriating, he's taking nature and using it for profit. He's obsessed with pelts for his money, for his gain, for his for his onset travels, and he's consistently asking about it, asking about the pelts, about the the money. You know, he says pelts in kind of a humorous way. I wish I could repeat it, but um, you know, he's really showing he's got this this taste for natives. The way he talks about them, the way about you know, uh, the particular use of the N word that caught me off guard, and all these things, and. You know, he, and then once again, you know, like we've been saying a couple times, you know, he appropriates their scalping technique for covering up his own tracks. It's really showing that he's honestly just using his nature and using his world, whereas, you know, Glass kind of uses uses it to, you know, even though he, Glass uses it for his gain as well, he does it in a more, uh, cult, uh, a, a little more of a cultivating way, a little more nurturing way, whereas Fitzgerald is really the type to just take it and leave it, and no matter what happens, leave a scar here and there to, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, and when Glass hands him over to the natives, and this is kind of where I was going with that a minute ago, it's like he, you know, nature is this is the creator, is the god that he was was thinking about and, and surmising about, and where uh, you know, and, and Glass himself was almost like a sacrifice as well to to nature back into it to he's finally glass is finally ridding himself of all this vengeance and all this disconnection and you know he's giving up fitzgerald who is very much against nature he's very disregarding of nature and it's almost like nature in in this sense is also punishing him where as well as giving up giving glass his his piece it's taking fitzgerald and taking out something that's very negative to the environment, you know, this this vicious death and punishment to those who take advantage of nature that we all face and kind of sometimes see today. And you know, he was even even though he was still consumed by revenge, Glass was he, you know, it, it, and he was he was justified in, in it, especially to the to, to the code and law back then. You know, Fitzgerald was doomed to die anyway, one way or the other. But it's still to him and to the story and to what's going what was going on in his heart. It was still the wrong thing. It still wasn't the right path. Was there anything you noticed else about Native Americans that you want to bring up? Yeah. So again, I look at things to like a literary point of view. There is this um, an amazing novelist and poet named Sherman Alexie. He is wonderful. I've shown Logan many things on him. Uh, he really talks about the Native American experience. Um, he has written, you know, books for younger children, if any of you are interested. Um, one of them is, um, the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian. It's hilarious. Um, then there's this poem that he wrote and it is called How to Write the Great American Indian Novel. And, um, please read that poem. Seriously, it, it really, it really makes you think about the things that you watch and, to be honest, I was worried watching this with Logan, and I said, oh, how dreamy are they going to make these Native American people seem? Because we, 
you know, watching Pocahontas, we have these dreamlike <laughs> women with their long hair who can speak to Grandmother Willow. And we have men with their proverbs. And yeah. it's so interesting how, you know, the the Pawnee boy that he comes across that he befriends who gets killed by the French, how his his what he says to glass is so full of wisdom like we expect from native american characters you know stereotypically through movies but it's also so christian it's mm-hmm. so like white mm-hmm. it's like oh you know my heart he says my heart bleeds for you and everything you're going through but revenge is in god's hands yeah. you know and, and and as wow as that is for glass as as much as that's like whoa you know an eye opener it's something so simple yeah. um i think that um this movie does really well with portraying native americans um i also think that um i think that i i Okay, this isn't even about this movie. I mean, it is about this movie. It does play into this movie. You know what? Yes, it does. Because um, you were talking about kind of how the chief, you know, it's a more familial aspect with them. And then whereas with all the the white people in the movie, it's more about take and what can you do for me. I think that that starts even with our creation stories. Mm-hmm. Like if you read the Bible, it talks about how we're going to have dominion over beasts and this and that. Mm-hmm. But if you read any Native American story, not just, you know, the typical things that you can think of, any Native American story always begins with a unity. And there's this sort of... Um, you know, in indigenous religions, there's this sort of um, idea of time and space. And so with, like, Christian thought, there's, like, a linear time and space of, like, what is God? What do we believe in? Start to finish. But it's more cyclical with Native Americans. And I just think that they really, I don't know, I think that they portrayed that well. I just yeah. think that... It, the cycle of life had to come through fully like even in the end with the re he got his daughter back the chief but the cycle the cyclical thing could not finish until you know the specific person was punished or until he could get one person from glasses company i don't know yeah tying it back into your uh your allegory from how kind of the balance was put back into order because the re were on the one side and they were able to come back over peacefully. It was, it was interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of time back. It is a that. balance thing. I don't know. I, I just oh. think that that's super interesting. I think that they do portray... I think that this movie really does take what they can. And, of course, they show violence. But they take it in such a way where it's not just, oh, these savages, you know, being violent. Um... It's for a reason. It makes sense. And I think that they show Native American religion and thought and dress and talk and some of the things that would have shaped the, their worldview. I think that they show it really, really well Absolutely. in the movie. They could have definitely gone deeper, but I think, like I was bringing up, I don't think that was the point. I think that would have detracted from the story. I think they did in a deep enough way to give them context to the time of period and it was more than just the typical Sioux representation with the the horses and the the feathers and things you know where they just mm-hmm. they were you know the the typical john wayne i think they did a pretty good job of 
exposing another aspect. Uh, I haven't heard anything bad from any of the representations of, of it myself, so I, no. I trust that it was pretty well. Yeah, they did really through. good. They did good. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say my concluding thought to this right now. We we I think we've touched on just about everything that I had notes for and anything that you may have thought. But so my concluding thoughts is kind of just how to sum this up is how. You know, even though that this natural world, you know, seems so very strange from us in our modern life, that there's these stories like these, they just, they, they pull in, pull back into perspective of just what could happen, just what it would be like again if we were just to rise above the, uh, uh, or, just, sorry, let me rephrase that. You know, it, it shows us what it really honestly took for us to, to rise above these foundational conflicts in our life, like getting food, getting warmth, getting shelter, uh, ex- surviving, you know, surviving each other, surviving the world and the, the nature itself and surviving animals and our own natural things to where we are today, where commerce and trade and industrialism and to, and these creature comforts that, you know, you may be very well sitting on the couch with electricity and air conditioning and TV right now at the same time and all those things had to start from stories like these where this is where it all began where you know killing a beaver and taking its skin was absolutely the only way that you knew how to get food in your belly for an extended period of time and to get money that you needed and things like that and it's it's just so interesting that you know it's still so prevalent in our minds and in our hearts that stories like these can reach and it it definitely reaches out to me in my life where I love to be in these outdoors and to reconnect into it where I, I am very soft and very squishy and very and, and very um dependent upon electricity and the needs of my my habits now, but I still strive so hard to touch back into that throughout the hobbies that I have and this story really brings out a lot of those core principles. So that's honestly that all I've got, so um, is there anything else you wanted to say specifically? Um, okay. no, okay. not right now. Okay. Is there, is there anything else that you really enjoyed about this? I think that we really touched on everything. I just want everyone to take the time to read the book, watch the movie, take the time to get to know other cultures other than your own. And this doesn't just mean race. This doesn't just mean like Native American culture. This means, you know, get to know, um, hunting culture. Get to know a culture of back in the uh, of back in the day how they lived their religions you know their different thoughts and ideas that's also culture you know we're stuck in this day and age you know get to know other cultures I think that's so important that'll really open your mind to this movie if you just take the time to get to know multiple cultures you know yeah. Yeah, and I, I want to thank you specifically, Rachel, for being on this podcast with me and helping me get my thoughts out. It always helps to have somebody to bounce off things. And you're welcome. That's why I married you, because you're so intelligent. So. You're welcome. I'm absolutely thankful. So, um, yeah, other than that, I don't believe I have any other thoughts. You guys, I just snuck back in here real quick while Logan was gone, and I thought I would just give you one more final thought. I do have two quotes, and I think that they're both important because, you know, we talk about whites and Native Americans and these two different ideals kind of combating with one with one another, but I think really it is just like Native American 
tradition, creation stories, and the way that they live their lives. It is cyclical. We do come together, and truly, we are one. And I just wanted to read, you know, two different things. So, um, in 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 the scriptures, in Romans twelve, um, verse nineteen. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I think that's important because we talked about the idea of vengeance and who gets it and and what does it mean and what do we gain from the vengeance when we do get it? Does it bring Glass's boy back? No. Does What does he get from it? Um, and I just think that that that's important when we talk about waiting for waiting for our revenge waiting for the things that we want it is truly in in the lord's hands and finally this last quote from the revenant um and it just reads there are none so deaf as those that will not hear um listen to the stories around you listen to people's um thoughts and and ideas and you know because they do matter and, and they, they are an important part of how we move and how the world is shaped. Um, you want to be able to open your ears to different, to different ideas. And you don't want to let important words fall on deaf ears. Open up your ears and, and relay this story and, and think about the world and how you move and operate in it. Think about, you know, think about those those oppressed think about your own vengeance think about things that we talked about today and don't let these things fall on your deaf ears thanks guys Alrighty, people thank you so much for listening to this especially if you did take the time to finish this out with us um i really hope that you guys enjoyed all the thoughts and deep things that you thought of uh if you have any questions any comments any suggestions any corrections any any hate mail anything uh feel free to go to my um, Facebook at Potless Thoughts. Uh, you can message me there. You can message me on in- Instagram. Just look up Potless Thoughts again. It, it should be right there. And you can send whatever you want. I'm looking for great feedback. If you all have anybody, uh, if you have any ideas or anything you'd like to say, any anything, I really don't mind. And that, that's the only thing I'm going to really kind of uh, uh, prostitute myself out for. I'm not going to ask you to like things. I'm not going to ask you to share things much, you know, unless you absolutely want to. I just really just want to hear feedback. That's the most important thing to me is your feedback and your support that way. So if you guys want to leave any comments, you can leave them on this post, on this podcast. You can message me anywhere there, and I'd love to hear from you guys. I absolutely would love to hear your thoughts and feelings on what we're talking about. Um, And with that, I hope you all stay safe, and as always, do something noteworthy, even if it's only to yourself.